0: Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org/postscript.
1: glad that you're here today. Welcome, whether you're at the Woodlands or at Center Court East on the Klein Campus, Center Court West on the Klein Campus. We're glad that you're here as we do indeed talk about being the hands and the feet of Jesus. So we're going to continue in this study of 1 Peter that we've been doing. Now, if you weren't here last week, I should explain we jumped over kind of a big chunk in the middle of this short letter. We're saving that portion for the August-September season. And so we're over uh, today in chapter 4 of 1 Peter. So why don't you turn in your Bibles, and if you need a Bible, you can just wave a hand at the ushers, and they'll be glad to let you borrow one. We're in 1 Peter chapter 4. While you're turning there, I'll remind you of something that Bud Wilkinson, the old uh, football coach at, uh, at Oklahoma, from 47 to 63 said. Once, and that is 50, football is a sport where 50,000 people who desperately need some exercise gather to watch 22 guys who desperately need some rest. Well, that's a pretty good description of football, indeed. And I'm afraid to some extent it could also be a description of many churches where you have not maybe 50,000, but where you have hundreds sometimes even thousands of followers of Jesus Christ who have talents and abilities and gifts who are sitting in chairs or on pews, not using those gifts, but cheering for the handful or two of people who are up using their gifts and their talents and their abilities to serve the kingdom of God. Now, of course, the metaphor breaks down in that football could never work if you had 50,000 fans come roaring out of the stands onto the playing field. But honestly, a healthy church can never work unless you have several hundred or several thousand people who love Jesus get up from out of their chairs or their pews and step onto the playing field to use their gifts, their talents, the abilities that God has put inside of them. So that's what we're going to talk about today because I think that there's a big problem in particularly American Christianity, and that is any number of people who love Jesus who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ and Christians, they sit idle, not using any of the stuff that God has really put in them to be useful for his kingdom. And so they end up kind of like a flashlight. You've had the experience, perhaps as I have, where you set a flashlight up on the shelf and you forget to take the batteries out. So three or four or five years later, when you need it, you reach for it and it doesn't work and you open it up. And what happened? Well, that battery juice oozed out and gets all corroded and ruins the flashlight. And I'm afraid that there's a lot of Christians in America, particularly who are just corroding into idleness, sitting up on the shelf, not being useful for God's kingdom, the way that he always had in mind for them to be. Now, I'm quite aware that there's any number of excuses. I've heard probably most all of them at this point in my life. Sometimes people say, well, you know, the reason I don't really serve is because I'm not so good at very much stuff. And if I got involved and tried to do something, I'd probably just mess it all up and be a nuisance. And so that's that's why I don't do it. On the other extreme, you have some, not many, hopefully, but, but some who... Actually, say the opposite, and they say, Well, you know, actually, I'm a little too uh, good for that. As if taking a towel in a basin like Jesus did, somehow they graduated beyond, and they just think, I just, that's beneath me. I don't really serve other people. But I think probably the overwhelming majority of people fall somewhere in the middle of those two extremes. They say things like, well, you know, the reason that I'm just not able to serve the Lord right now is because, well, I'm just so busy. There's just so much stuff going on in my life. I just can't pinch out any time to do that. Or sometimes they'll say, if you just knew what I was going through, Ken. I mean, we're struggling. We're having a rough time right now. And that's my excuse. To which I'm tempted to say, what a timeout, timeout, timeout. Wait, 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 wait. Let's remind ourselves ourselves of what it is that we've been studying this year in 2016 this letter that peter wrote from rome to some christians who themselves were struggling pretty much for their life because nero the emperor has unleashed a whole wave of of all sorts of terrible things for Christians. I mean, it was open hunting season for Christians. They've been blamed for a fire that they never started. They have fled far and wide, as far away as Turkey, where we believe they were reading this letter, just trying to cling to dear life. And so if anybody kind of had it rough, was kind of struggling, don't you think it would have been those people, and Peter would have said, you people you actually are, you, okay, you get a pass. You have had a really hard life. In fact, it's just a good thing you're not dead, and that may happen tomorrow, so prop your feet up and just enjoy the life that you have before you get killed for being a Christian. That's not what he said. He said, no, 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 you may well get killed for being a Christian, or Jesus will come back, one or the other, whichever, and comes first, it kind of all comes out the same. So until either one of those things happen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember who you are. That's what we've been talking about the past several weeks as we were looking at the first few chapters of uh, portion of 1 Peter. And now he's gonna move into here's what you do. If you're a follower of Jesus, here's, here's how I want you to live. And he's describing this vibrant color which should be descriptive of all of us who follow Jesus today. All right, so 1 Peter 4, and uh, we're going to sort of jump right in. If we had the time, we could talk about verse 7, where he tells them, I want you to be sound in judgment and sober-minded. Verse 8, he tells them, I want you to be loving in your relationships. Verse 9, he says, I want you to be hospitable to one another without complaining. There's good sermons in all those verses, but then he gets to verse 10, and that's the one that we're focusing on today. I'll read it to you from the NRSV version. Verse 10, like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. That's all we're gonna look at today, because there's a whole sermon in just that verse. Three movements in that verse I want us to capture. So if you're taking notes, here's the first one. It comes right from the middle of the verse. He says, serve one another. Your purpose is to serve one another. That's the first thing he's telling those Christians 2,000 years ago and us today. Your purpose is to serve one another. He wants each of us to understand that God had more in mind when he saved us than that we might just sit around and twiddle our thumbs until he came back or until we died, whichever happened first. He had more in mind than just giving us a passport out of hell into heaven He had a lot more in mind than that. He saved us to utilize us. Otherwise, he would have just transported us straight to heaven. He wouldn't have left us here, but he's left you here. He's left me here. Why did he leave us here? So that we could do what he's saying here. I want you to serve one another. So a couple of months ago, uh, my son William, he's the eight-year-old, we were downtown in the Galleria area. And one evening, I was going down Woodway and I looked at my uh, gas gauge that was on empty and said, goodness, we got to get some gas on. So I wheeled into a uh, station and I hopped out of my car and I reached for the handle of the gas pump. And I was un, uh, doing the, the little thing on my car and getting ready to stick it in where I felt a presence of a man standing right there. And so I glanced over and he said, sir, I said, yes. He said, this is a full service station. I said, Really? I didn't even know we had those anymore. Are you serious? And he said, Yes, you get in your car and I'll put the gas in for you. And I glanced over at the marquee and saw the price and said, You're not kidding. And you know what? I didn't pay it. T- let me just put this up, and we're going to kind of go around there and because and, uh, I can do it myself. Well, I get in the car, and, and as we were moving around, my Williams said, what just happened there? And I said, yes, son, this is a full-service station, which, of course, he doesn't know what that means. And I said, you, you know, when I was a boy, every gas station was like this station. And you'd pull in and you'd run over the little thing and go ding, ding. And the little man would come walking out and you'd say, fill her up with regular. And and then he'd put the gas in and check your tires for the air and wash your windows. And William starts laughing because he thinks I'm making up one of my little goofy stories to make sure that he's still just paying attention. And he's laughing in disbelief. And I'm like, no, 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 really. That is how it really was. And you know, in a very real way, the non-believing world... The, 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 the non-Christians in your world, in your neighborhood, it's your workplace, they should laugh in disbelief, in shock at how willingly you and I just roll up our sleeves and say, hey, I'll serve you. You say, why would I do that? Well, I think of a couple of reasons right off. Why, right off. For one thing, we've been saved by a Savior who did nothing if did not serve. That's pretty much all he did. Coming from heaven and taking on the form of a man, humbling himself, washing people's feet, trafficking in this world of sin, he, he pretty much only did serve, ultimately going to the cross to die for your sins and my sins, he was the ultimate servant. And and he says, now, if you follow me, you'll like follow me. You'll do what I have done. And and furthermore, he offers us the assurance. He says, "And, and, and if and when you do this, you're gonna feel joy. You're going to finally feel like the puzzles of your life, puzzle pieces of your life are coming together and it makes sense. And you're like, now I understand why I'm here. Now I understand why God put me here. I'm actually useful. I'm, I fit in this whole masterpiece that God is doing. And so this is the first thing that Peter is telling those Christians. He's saying, hey, yeah, you might well get killed for your faith or Christ will come back one or the other. But in the meanwhile, you don't sit back. You roll up your sleeves and you serve. I don't care how hard your life is, how rough it is, how busy you are. You're not, you're, our life is to serve. That's the first thing that he's um, telling them. And so if, if you're not serving other people, friends, then what you have to realize is you're not fulfilling your salvation. Um, you're not growing. I heard Tony Evans i uh, put it this way. He said, you know, all that turkeys are interested in is eating. Problem with all turkeys is that they can't fly. They don't go anywhere. They just take it in and waddle around. He said, many American Christians are like turkeys. Waddle in on Sunday mornings and say, feed me. Then they get up and they waddle out. Then they waddle in the next Sunday and they say, feed me again. Then they waddle out but they're always stuck at ground level. And I think this describes a lot of American Christians, Turkey Christianity. And it might be, be very well why, why, why many people sort of designate themselves as visitor status at churches forever. Now, let me quickly say this. If you're a visitor today, we're really glad that you are here all right especially if you're a new visitor okay I'm really glad that you're here and if you're new in the community welcome and of course you got to visit some churches because you got to find the place where you're going to roll up your sleeve and you're going to serve and find the church that kind of fits with your kids and the where you're going through and all that kind of stuff but does it take five or ten years to figure it out I don't think it should but I think that there's a lot of American Christians who just sort of classify themselves as uncommitted visitors because somehow in their, the math of their mind, they, they sort of feel like, well, that, that, that sort of gives me a pass from ever having to do anything. There's, there's no perceived responsibility to, to serve. Feed me, encourage me, sing to me, make me feel better, counsel me, but don't expect anything from me. That's not ever what the Bible tells us the life of Christ is anything remotely similar to. Peter says, no, 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 not you. Not if you really experienced the grace of Jesus, the Savior who served. You serve one another. Because a non-serving Christian is a contradiction in terms. You can't put those two things together. Non serving Christian. To be a Christian means you've become a follower of the, the ultimate servant. So that's the first thing he says serve one another. And then look at the next part of the clause serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. What's he telling us? Second thing. You have been given a gift. You have been given a gift. Now this is something that many Christians don't understand, I believe, as well. And that is, and that, is that every single follower of Jesus Christ, when you trusted in Christ, when you invited Jesus to come into your life, he blessed you with a gift. He bestowed, he planted inside of you a gift. The Greek word for it is charism. It means a grace. He, he put a special charism inside of you. And you can extrapolate from that where the English word charismatic comes from. He, he's put this charism, this gift inside of you. He's, he, why did he do that? Not just so that it could sit there, but so that then you could use it to better the body of Christ. Um, Notice, he says, each of you has received one. Each of you. Not like a few choice people, sorry for the rest of you. No, he said each of you. No matter how busy you are, no matter how rough life is, each of you has received one. Now, in the spring, we're going to come back and spend another Sunday or two, and we're actually going to look at the spiritual gifts, because it's been some years since we've done that um, on Sunday mornings, and we realize we need to come back and, and actually talk, teach about the different spiritual gifts. Don't have time to do that today, but I will go ahead and tell you something today. I'll let you in on a little secret, and that is The only way that you're really ever going to discover your gift, your charisma, is by getting up out of your seat and getting onto the playing field. You've got to actually try some things. You've got to jump in and offer your service to God as a living sacrifice. And as you do this, you're going to experience um, some things aren't going to fit. There is, you know, I tried that. That really, I don't think it worked. It didn't quite feel right. I didn't really enjoy it. Uh, But you keep trying. Don't give up. Because you will come upon something where you're like, this is it. This is where I can really make a contribution. This is where I can help. This feels right. This this feels like there's blessing coming from God for me uh, when, when I'm doing that. Okay, now I realize this is old hat for, for some of you. Some of you, you've been in touch with your giftedness for years. Some of you have done some grand, wonderful things with your gifts. You're, you're, you've, a couple, I think a couple of you that have started um, two orphanages in other parts of the world and still others of you that have started sports teams or sports leagues for the purpose of bringing young kids uh, to Christ. Others of you have started businesses so that the the proceeds can just go to kingdom work. And that's marvelous and that's wonderful, grand stuff. Many of you saying, I never did anything quite like, no, but there's a lot of you who you've shown up Sunday after Sunday And you've held doors open for people. You've made coffee for them. You've helped them find a seat. Maybe you've served over with the children in the kids' ministry, which I've had any number of you. Um, Even this morning, one came out with tears in her eyes. She said, I love serving the kids, I just love it. It's what it just, I could tell it just warms in her cockles of her heart just to talk about children. Others of you, I realize, talking about serving children might give you some heartburn. And so you got to find out what the right thing is. But what my point is, is you you've got to get off out of the chair and you got to actually get on the playing field and you got to try some things. Because only through trying some different things will you be able to rule out the ones that don't work and find your way towards the ones that do. And incidentally, I just want to say something to those of you who have, you, are, you have been serving, you do, you're like, I got this down, I love serving. Let me ask you this question, though. Who are you bringing with you? I don't bring anybody. That may be a problem. Why aren't you bringing somebody with you? Apostle Paul was always bringing people with him. Anybody who has a replicating ministry is always recruiting people and bringing them with me. Say, why don't you come do this with me? See what it it, it feels like. In fact, I was thinking about one of the parking teams uh, here on Sunday that's led by a guy named Justin, and I was thinking of how many of the guys out on that team are there, why? Because he just was friends with them and said, hey, why don't you come try this with me, and we'll have a good time. And they're out there serving in the cold and in the hot. So, So my question to you that are rolling up your sleeves, you've already been serving inside the walls of the church, outside the walls of the church, who are you bringing with you? if you're not bringing with you anybody, why? And and what do you need to do to change that? Part of the discipleship process is you're bringing some other people along. And others of you, you say, nobody's ever brought me along and I don't even know where I would start as I'm listening to you. I mean, it sounds good, but I don't even know, like, what's the first step? Well, I'll, I'll give you a first step. We're having a serve expo today, right after this service. And so you can just go straight out. If you're in Center Court East, you can go out to the East Atrium. And you're going to find displays all around and real-life people you can talk to. And you can ask them questions about what is it that you do. And you can pick up their information. You can try a first-serve opportunity. You're on several different teams and see if, if by, you, by trying a few different ones, you might not rule out some and find your way to what really fits. If you're in Center Court West, come on over to the Center Court East. Atrium, if you're in the woodlands, just go outside the pipe and drape Uh, on the other side in the the cafeteria and, and there's people there to talk with you about it. So we're doing everything that we can do to help you do what Peter's talking about. I'll tell you one more thing and then we'll move on. And that is, if you've tried, you know, different ministries here and there and you're like, I still can't find it. Why don't you talk with somebody, maybe somebody on staff, maybe your grow group leader and say, you know, I just can't find kind of my place where I can do what God has given me abilities to do. So several months ago I was at a high school football game and I sitting in the stands and a guy from our church, uh, he comes up and sits beside me and we're just talking and he says, by the way, do you know, uh, Christie such and such? And I said, I don't think I do. He says, well, I'll tell you about her because I was in a meeting with her and she said to me the other day in passing, you know, I really wish that I could use my gifts to help the church, um, but I'm always at work and I, I just don't know how I can do that. And I said, well, what does she do? He said, oh, she has a, a high-octane position at HP. I mean, she's she's analyzing data. She builds in contingency plans for all the things that they roll out, um, new products and all this kind of stuff. And so she's always, uh, uh, you know, crunching data. And, and, I mean, she corresponds with Meg Whitman. And I was like, really? And so he said, yeah, and I just had it on my mind, I'd maybe mention to you if there's anything that you could ever use or for. Well, even as I'm hearing this, I'm thinking about these um, uh, lead team meetings that I'd been in a series of where we're scratching our heads to try to figure out the answer to something, which the the details of which don't matter really for our purposes right now. I won't go into those, but um, suffice it to say we couldn't figure it out, but we know the data is there. Uh, because we, we keep good data and I just, we can't interpret it we can't figure out what is it telling us so I called Christy up and said hey I want to get to know you and could you come up here to church and sit down with several of us t- I'd like to know more about what you do at HP and, and maybe if there's a way that you could apply your administrative mind to a conundrum that we have here she said I would love to do she came up told us a little bit more about what she does we told her about our problem Said, we cannot figure out the answer to this. And it's probably easy, but we can't figure it out. She said, this is exactly what I do all day long for HP. I would love to help you figure this out. well, great, so she walks off with a big stack of data and, and you know, in several weeks, she's working on this, calling in, could I get a copy of it and reports and reports, could you send this in? And, and so our computer person was sending all that. And she, finally, she said, I, I, think I, I think I figured it out. I'd like to meet, so she comes back and sits down with several of us and she says, I think the answer to the question that you're trying to figure out is boom. And we're like, ah, there it is, of course. It's so simple. And she said, and, and here's how I extrapolate. You know, she's using the gift that God has put inside of her to help the church. And so all of a sudden, in a 30-minute meeting, she opens up this whole new frontier of ministry possibility for us and brings clarity that we couldn't get to on our own. So if you, even if, you, if you've tried different things, you've even gone to a serve expo and... Talk to somebody, talk to your grow group leader, come talk to one of us on the staff. Let's figure out, because God's put a gift inside of you. But for today, let's get you out of the chair and at least get you started moving in the right direction. Rick Warren says, God gave you a gift, not for you, but for me. And God gave me a gift, not for me, but for you. And if you don't use the gift, if you don't use your gift, You're robbing me. And if I don't use my gift, I'm robbing you. That's a pretty good summarization. Only when we're using the gifts that God's put inside of us does the body function in a healthy way as God always had in mind. So Peter's telling those Christians, and he's telling us today, you're called to serve. That's your purpose. Your purpose is to serve. And then secondly, he's given you a gift to do that serving. And the third and final thing Peter says is, using your gift is a matter of stewardship. It's a matter of stewardship. Notice again, it, it, it's the very first few words of verse 10. Like good stewards, he's saying, of the manifold grace of God, serve one another. Like Good servants, uh, stewards. And you realize he's telling us something when he says good stewards. If you can be a good steward, it means therefore you could also be a bad steward, right? He's saying that. Now, let's just back up and remember what does that word even mean? We don't really use the word steward uh, a whole lot. occasionally, you hear it at a restaurant. Or what, what is a steward, anyhow? A steward is simply somebody who oversees the property of an owner. It's the owner's stuff, but the steward oversees it, manages it, makes sure it's all running the way that the, man, the owner wants it to be running. If the, if the owner says, I want this, the steward says, I'll make that happen. If the owner says, I want that, the steward says, we'll make that happen. The steward is overseeing the property of another, And you and I, we need regular reminders, I think, that we are stewards of the ultimate owner. Um, everything that we have in life is borrowed. You realize that, don't you? You realize your time is borrowed. The time that you have here on earth, it's borrowed time. You don't own it because you can't change it. You can't adjust it. All you can do is use it for as long as he gives it to you. Your life is borrowed. Your family is borrowed. Your children are borrowed. Everything that you have is on loan from the ultimate owner. You're a steward. I'm a steward. He's just put us here to manage his stuff, his people, his charisms his gifts that he's put inside of us. You realize the gift he's put inside of you. He's letting you borrow that. You're a steward of it, though. It's not yours. It's his. He's just put it in you for now. Now, an interesting thing about it is if you go back in verse 7... You see how Peter starts this section out. He starts this section out with the phrase, the Lord is coming back soon, which is a, a wonderful phrase. It brings marvelous hope. It, it brings hope today to consider that no matter how wild and crazy the world is getting, the Lord is coming back soon. It brought hope to the Christians 2,000 years ago who were getting their heads chopped off or fed to the lions. The thought, that the realization, he's coming back soon. We don't know when, but... Compared to eternity, it's soon he'll be back. That's always been a watchword of great hope. But that phrase also carries with it the admonition um, to, to wake up and realize that when he does come back, there will be an accounting due from the owner, from all of us stewards for how we handled his stuff, the charisms, the gifts that he put inside of us. And, and so I mention this simply to, to, to make sure that none of us are sort of sitting here thinking, well, you know, this is a nice talk, and, and but you know, I'm a busy guy, Ken, and you know, but one day... When I have enough time and I have some margin in my life, then I'm gonna get around to serving because I wanna pitch in, I wanna do my part, I wanna help God and all that. And no, 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 no. You're, you're speaking of it like, um, like you're the owner of your time and of your gifts. That's not the case. Um, you're the steward. This is not like extracurricular stuff. Well, one day if I get something, I'll get around. No, he's saying this is major stuff. The Bible says we're all going to stand before our Savior someday when he comes back to audit the books to evaluate our life, at which point we're going to give an accounting, don't you see? 1 Corinthians 3.13 tells us plainly that all of our life's works are going to be tried by fire. Now, that's not hellfire; That's the pure fire of God's holy presence, which when our life is placed next to this pure holy God, Anything the Bible says that is not of him, that wasn't glorifying to him, it's just gonna burn away. And so the Bible says that there are is gonna be some of us who will stand before uh, Christ, uh, the, the heavenly father and who have trusted in Christ and thereby for having trusted in Christ will find their souls saved. And that's a marvelous thing and that can't be lost. But the unfortunate thing about that is that there'll be people who even though they are saved, Will then be exposed to the flame of God's purity and will have everything just evaporate. And we'll have, and there's no cop out then. There won't be any, well, Lord, you know, I was just so busy. And, you know, if you just give me a little bit more time, that was the next thing I was going to get to. I was, was going to do a little serving. Or, Lord, if you just only, I mean, do you remember? My family of origin and how screwed up they were. And I mean, goodness gracious, you can't really expect that I would have ever really done much. No, there won't be any cop out then, not when we stand in the Lord's presence. All our works will be tested by the pure, pure fire of his presence, which 1 Corinthians 3 tells us. Then, after which we will be rewarded or not. Doesn't have to do with our salvation, but with the rewards. That we will experience in our eternal salvation. Where that old couplet I remember memorizing as a child will be found true. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. So, how you live your life for Christ is about being available for his usage now where we enlist ourselves in the unique gifts that he's entrusted to our stewardship now to be useful making an impact in this world and other people's lives now so in a few minutes we're going to finish just a little earlier than normal and i'm going to turn you loose to the serve expo and I want you to go out and stop by the tables and pick up some of the, the little brochures they have, ask them questions, find out, you know, when could I do a, 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 a first serve opportunity? Just try it out, kick the tires, see if this might fit. If not, try the next thing, try the next thing. Or there's a little insert inside your bulletin. I, I hope that you're gonna spend some time, and, and not right now, but in a moment, I'll be ready for you to spend the time looking at that insert and saying, you know what, I think I, I think this might be a, way that I could at least just get started moving in the right direction. But there's one more thing. I I want to leave you with a picture in your mind before I turn you loose. Um, And and that is how the verse uh, continues. He says, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received, being good stewards of... Here it is, the manifold grace of God. Now that sounds kind of like a sort of churchy phrase, the manifold grace of God, but it's a marvelous picture. Circle that word manifold. You know what it means? Manifold means multicolored, the multicolored grace of God. So what Peter's doing here as he's writing these Christians 2,000 years ago and today, he's painting these pictures. He's saying, hey, when everybody is doing this, when everybody has enlisted themselves and they're all stewarding their gifts, it's like God's grace, the rays of God's grace are shining through and, and there's this multicolored result. It's, it's just this beautiful artwork that comes out of it. And so it was like Peter was saying, when, when God's manifold grace is shining through you because you're using your gift, it sparkles blue. And when God's using you because you're using your gift, it sparkles green or you yellow or all of these different colors and you put it all together and it's this marvelous, beautiful result. This is the picture that Peter's painting when he talks about the manifold grace of God. And so what he was saying, don't you realize, is is I want you, each of you, to be like um, a crayon in God's hand because he's given you a gift. Now, will you surrender yourself to being useful for all that he has always had in mind that you would be useful for. <laughs> when I think of crayons, I think back to when I was a kid. And I suppose my OCD tendencies were already manifesting even as a child, because um, you know how it was, well, I don't know, maybe it wasn't for you, but, but, but I was like, when you get a new box of crayons, um, and they just, you know, well, you start out just getting, you know, their thumb size, you get four principal colors, right? Then you move up and you get a box of eight and then you move up to 12, then you move to 24 and then finally you get the granddaddy of them all, you get the 64 crayons, you know? And I I was thinking back to um, when when. I, I still would do this even today. I'm afraid, you know, if if when I get a or see my boys get a new box of crayons, I I'm tempted to to want to to arrange all of them in, in this you know sequence where they're all in this beautiful s- sequence of shades and where they're all standing uh, tall with the tips all lined up and spin the labels um, just so that it's facing outward and and just. Perfect. Even just thinking about it just gives me goosebumps. And and, the new box of crayons—it just just (laughs) looks so good. It smells so good. It never tasted so good. But 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 God is saying, "Hey, here's the deal. I didn't create you to be a crown just to stay in a box." And I'm afraid that's always been my problem with the crayons. I never really used them much for what they were really intended to be used for. I never really did any art. I just always had fun arranging the crayons. (laughs) And the the, the bare walls of my bedroom uh, would reveal uh, that. And perhaps this reality came all the more clear when I was old enough to go into the art classroom at school. Because I remember when we went into the art classroom, you sit down at the tables, and their crayons were a mess. They, they had these little Tupperware things on each table, and the crayons are all thrown in, all these different colors, and there's no sequence, there's no structure to them. They're, they're broken down, peeled back, shaved down. You know, and, 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 and yet, you look up on the walls, what was their beautiful, multicolored, tapestries of art everywhere. And as I was, as I was pondering that, I was, I was thinking, you know, in a very real, real way, the Lord is saying, hey, when I created you, I didn't create you to, to be a preserved, unused crayon sitting in the box. I created you so that you might surrender yourself into my hand so that I might use you to bring color into this world of hopeless darkness. You say, well, that might, gosh, if I do that, I'm liable to end up broken and, and worn down and peeled back. Yes, you will. But isn't that what happened to Christ when God sent him into this world to save us? He got broken and shaved down and peeled back and finally ended up on the cross hanging there for our sins. But then look what happened on the third day when the bright rays, multicolored rays of resurrection ricocheted all around the world. And I hope they've ricocheted into your heart. And he says That's what I've always had in mind for you. Don't preserve yourself holding yourself back, sitting on the sidelines, sitting in the stands, being on the shelf, being an unused crayon in the box. I I created you to be useful for my kingdom purposes. So surrender to him and to his kingdom that you might be just that shade he's never going to quite have if you don't enlist yourself to be what he's always had in mind for you to be. And then someday when the art of your life um, is revealed, evaluated, tested by fire, you'll get to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant and it'll all have been worth it then. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, you serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the timely word that comes to us from 1 Peter. It's 2,000 years ago, it was written, and it was written to people whose lives were a lot worse off than our lives, which is not to minimize that many people here aren't going through hard times. I'm very aware of that, and you know well, Lord, how I do know that, even just from reading through the list of prayer concerns from week to week. But I think I can also say, Lord, that there's not a one of us here who is being threatened to have our heads chopped off or be fed into lions or plunged into fire in that regard we've got it a lot better than the earliest christians had it you've given us so much and yet lord forgive us because so often we do we we hold ourselves out we position ourselves like brand new crayons back in the box and just we just and you say no that's not what i had in mind Lord, won't you help each of us to surrender ourselves into your hand to be useful for your purposes to the end that your kingdom might be expanded and that uh, the light of your hope, joy, peace might ricochet out into an unbelieving world. Use us, Lord. And for any who are here today who have not trusted you, Jesus, in the first place, then my prayer is even now in the quietness of this moment, they might just open up their hearts and start there, because that's where we must all start, saying, I need a Savior. And once you just flood into every such heart, Lord Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, and then utilize us all for your purposes. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at Faith Bridge by talking with the teacher of the day. And welcome to Postscript. I'm Luann Riley, Grow Group and Discipleship Director, and I'm here with Pastor Ken, who just brought the second part of Vibrant. We talked about living beyond ourselves. And we really took a look at using our gifts and serving. Mm -hmm. Welcome, Pastor Ken. Glad to have you back here today. And we had quite a few uh, questions come in really around gifting. Um, So let's just start there. You talked a lot about determining our gifts and using our gifts Mm -hmm. um, that we've been given. And so this question is, do some people have multiple gifts or do you just have a gift?
1: Yeah. Well, you certainly have at least a gift. But I think we can safely say that many people have a gift or two in one of the sermons uh, one of the I think the early service today I mentioned uh, a gift that I have of leadership and another gift of preaching. I would say the leadership one gives me a little more energy than the preaching one, so that would probably be my strongest one um, and if I had to to uh say my third one, if there's a third, I'd say it's evangelism. I really love to try to help people come to an understanding of Jesus. Um, so I think, uh, I think we can safely say, um, more than one typically, but at least one. Now I'll say a couple of other things about that. Of course, in the spring, we'll come back and we'll spend another Sunday or two, and we maybe we'll have some sort of a uh, little self-test that one can take that sort of you add up the points and it kind of helps. But any of those inventories that you'll find, and you can look up online and probably find some good ones, they all uh, are predicated upon you having some experience trying some different things. Mm-hmm. So if you just sit in a vacuum and then you try to take a spiritual gift inventory, you, you, you can't really mm-hmm. say Yes, I do this all the time or sometime or never um, with much confidence. And so there again, that's where I was emphasizing you, you, you got to get in the game and just start trying some things and then you'll gravitate there and, uh, by God's grace. I'll say one other thing that I've noticed over the years uh, with credit to, to a friend of mine who, who actually articulated this one time, and, but it made sense the, the moment he said it said, you know, the older I get, the more gifts I have. Mm-hmm. And I started laughing. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, back when I was a brand new Christian and I'd fill out one of those spiritual gift inventories, I had one or two, and but by the time you've been in ministry for years and years and you start a church and this and that, you've, you've had to mop the floors, you've had to do everything. <laughs> so when you take those little spiritual gift inventories, you kind of have check marks by a lot of them. And you could, I think, errantly think, well, I've got about 10 or 12 spiritual gifts. That would be the other extreme um, r- wrong answer to this question. Um, and that is thinking, well, I just have all the gifts. Mm-hmm. Well, no, you, you might if you've journeyed with Christ a long time and done a lot of ministries. You've probably had to do a lot of things. But probably deep down in your soul is one or two, maybe three charisms that God has put there, and those are always going to be your strongest uh, spiritual gifts.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so the second part uh, of this question that they ask is, "Do our gifts develop or change as our relationship with the Lord deepens, or as we mature?"
1: Sure. So, w- well, I, I'll illustrate with myself. Um, when I went to seminary after graduating from college, I had this heart for evangelism, wanted to help people come to trust in Christ, and, and then I took some preaching classes and won a preaching award and realized, you know, I think I can actually preach a sermon. And, But it wasn't until I was serving at the uh, church up in the woodlands for five years that then I was put in responsibility of a lot of different people and a lot of different ministries. And I began to realize um, people follow me when I walk across the room. And that's a gift of leadership. Well, that would really become the the most important gift when you're starting a church, uh, the gift of leadership. And so it took some years for me to discover really that that's my my top spiritual gift. I've also heard people say, uh, who are older and wiser than I am, that sometimes Perhaps God gives a gift for a season, mm-hmm. when uh, perhaps you hear about a missionary who's put in a circumstance in a foreign country, and they just by default, there's nowhere the Christians there. God, you know, puts into the person for that season mm-hmm. that charisma yeah. to get them through uh, whatever they're, you know, going through. So. I don't know that I have so much a, many illustrations from that one myself, but it rings true, as I think, um, th- there is some subjectivity to this whole spiritual Right, because the Holy thing. Spirit, you exactly. don't know how he's going to work. So we can't, exa- you know, no matter point. how you yes. put the, the little inventories together. Because the- there
0: are some natural abilities.
1: Sure, yes. yeah. And that's, yeah, right, and that's a whole nother conversation. So where does the my natural abilities end? And then the
0: Holy Spirit step and, in there. And yeah. one of the things we're looking at in grow groups this week is taking one of those <clears throat> tests, but then also looking at the body and doing some of that in community, where people can yep. see gifts in you that you may not necessarily see, see in yourselves.
1: Which is a big um, thing.
0: Yes. Great. Yeah. OK, so um, just around serving and how that impacts our lives, this question came in around how it impacts our internal lives. Mm. So do people have better eternal lives because of how they serve?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, well, according to what Paul is saying there in uh, Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 3, um, our works are going to be tested By fire, and rewards are going to be dispensed. And that's an interesting concept because I think probably in American Christianity, we have, uh, in our concern to make sure that we're never leading people towards salvation through works. We are always talking about salvation by grace through faith, which is absolutely biblical, and we're saved by what Christ did, not by what we do. I think, though, that we could accidentally be accused of throwing out the baby with the bathwater as if to uh, indicate to people that, therefore, nothing you do ever matters. Well, no, apparently it, it will, not for your salvation, because there'll be some, it says, who will be saved, but as those just barely escaping as through the flames... Um, And then there's others who will just be loaded down with the blessings of reward from all that they did in accordance with uh, Ephesians uh, 2.10, where God's workmanship created uh, to to do good works through him. And so, you know, I'm thinking of a little book uh, that came out, I don't know, a decade or two ago by, uh, what is his name? Bruce Wilkerson, um, The Life God Rewards, which is on that con- this, this whole uh, concept. It might be, in, be a good resource. It's a, it's a little coffee table book, but you can read it fast. But that'll give you a little, a little more if you want to delve into that.
0: Okay, good. And a little, another question looking at the, the testing of fire um, mm. Are only living people at the time of the return of Christ tested in fire? No. That's the question.
1: No, we we will all uh, go before the the Bema seat. Um, Now, the sequence of that, uh, the how and the when, theologians will come down to different points. But no, uh, not not just the people who are alive when he comes back. All right. Forward to that.
0: (laughs) Okay. So um, this was just a comment that was sent in, but we had lots of these comments in it that people identify with your crayon box and the OCD. OCD.
1: Yes. Great. Great. Well, of course, (laughs) hey, now let's remember there's a good. So if you have those tendencies, you probably have a good gift of administration. That is a spiritual gift like the Lady Christie that I uh, alluded to in the, in the message. So use that gift. Um, as Paul says in Romans 12, where he's hitting some of the spiritual gifts, um, use that gift that God has. Uh, has so if, if you're OCD, put it to work for God's kingdom and get some things organized and administrated.
0: I love that story. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you for joining us here for Postscript. It was a great message today. Thanks. Thank you. And thank you for joining us here for Postscript. We'll see you back here next week.